1: All right, Brad. We are back, and we have another guest upcoming. We will introduce everyone to Shane Barclay here in a second, but before that, um kind of kind of interested in just how what's your overall feel after the two sides decided to meet several times this week. Are we any further away? Are we any closer? <laughs> what, what is your feeling with this lockout BS?
2: Everything I've seen so far, <clears throat> it's all incremental. I don't know if anything's going one way or the other. Uh, I, it kind of feels like when things get a little bit closer, uh, other things get a little bit wider. Um, uh, still not time for an arbitrator still not time for mediation um mlb still jumped the gun on that whole thing uh i don't know i don't i don't think we're going to be uh celebrating this weekend i'll tell you that much <laughs> and you know and this is after something
1: to celebrate which is on 222
2: a man by the name of will clark joined twitter everybody yes that is the most fantastic thing he's uh, and all he's doing is just putting up videos of him hitting shots at a Candlestick Perfect. Park. the like, best hey.
1: usage of Twitter I've ever seen in my Absolutely. entire life.
2: Absolutely. He put one up there where he hit the upper deck shot, uh, bottom of the ninth to win the game. I think uh, they were, we were down three, uh, two Maldonado hit a line drive home run over the left center field fence uh, to tie it up. And then Will Clark next uh, at bat goes yard upper deck. I was at that game. I was, I I think it was 14, 15, and uh, such a great memory. He put that up there. I go, oh, this is great. He's just (laughs) pimping his shots. I love it. Let's keep doing that. So,
1: All right. Uh, I know Shane's got a drink in hand, too. So why don't we just bring Shane on, and we'll talk about his job in baseball, which is a very interesting baseball job. And he's a Giants fan from the Bay Area. We're going to chop it up about. Giants baseball everybody if we can't talk about the current stuff (laughs) we can always talk about the past as everyone can see by my background at Candlestick Park in the upper deck probably freezing like Uh seagulls nearby. All right, let's bring in Shane here uh, after the intro music here. Spadrosian throws to Sandberg and the pitch is grounded to second base. Thompson has it. Throws
3: to
2: first. It's over.
1: All right, Shane Barclay. Am I pronouncing the last name correctly? Yes. All right. So, uh, you'd reached out on Instagram, and I know that you've listened to us before. And I'm so happy that you reached out because you work in baseball, but you have a very intriguing baseball job and a very intriguing baseball background. So, before we even talk about anything, Give us your origin story here. How, how, wh- where does it start and how do you get into baseball? And then we can talk about uh, the the company that you work for.
3: Cool. Well, first of all, thank you guys for having me on. Uh, Garrett and Brad, it's good to meet you both. I've been following you guys on Instagram for a while. Uh, your account strikes all my nostalgia streams <laughs> really well, so uh, keep it up. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, I'd be happy to talk about that. I guess it depends how how far we want to go back. Um 'Cause you know, like anyone here and, and anyone who works in baseball usually starts pretty early on. You know, I grew up in uh, in Cupertino and was going to San Jose Giants games. Um it was it was my first baseball experience, at least professional baseball experience. And then, you know, just loved the game, played it through high school, uh, then transitioned to uh co co ed Beer League softball. Um, and uh so I, I just always wanted to be around the game. I like growing up. I just devoured Baseball America and Baseball Tonight and all that stuff. So um, in high school, uh, Moneyball came out, and I uh, kind of opened up my eyes a little bit to maybe I could try to work in baseball. So uh, even because I knew at that point I wasn't going to become a big leaguer, as much as I wanted to hold on to that, I wasn't even going to be able to play in college. I wasn't quite good enough for that. So um, yeah, Moneyball was like an eye opener to me. And, uh, I thought, well, maybe I can try to, you know, use my education or just get in the game another way. Um, and, uh, so that's what I I did. I wrote my college application application essay about Moneyball. ball, uh, I tried to figure out a way to work in the game, um, throughout college, which is kind of tough. Cause I went to Cal and there's no like sports management or anything. And, uh, I took a super senior extra semester. And then that semester I happened to, um, sign up for a, for fun sports class. That was just like for graduate students, but I was able to sign up and um, a last minute change to the teachers was uh, Sandy Alderson became my professor. So that was like this great connection to have this baseball executive, you know, legendary executive as my teacher. Um, I should mention, I studied abroad in the Dominican Republic as well as that was kind of the one thing that I thought could help me get a job in baseball until Sandy came along um, and I really busted my, my ass in that class to, uh, make an impression. And, and he was nice enough to help me, um, like guide me on, on how to try to get a job and, um, went on a, I, I did a long letter writing campaign and, and, uh, used Sandy's name as much as I possibly could. <laughs> and, uh, that got me an internship with the Diamondbacks. And, um, and so that was my, my first baseball job uh i was assigned to visalia in the california league and um so it's cool coming back to san jose like as an employee and um we're doing the whole long road trips in in the minor leagues and all that stuff so uh yeah was my first job and um and that's how i got my start i
1: mean it's a fascinating way because you hear lots of stories of like actual baseball players who are like oh all the things that i did to Get in, you know, get in majors and minors and roll the buses. And you did something similar, but it was to have a job in baseball as, you know, working for a team or whatever. So you actually sort of kind of lived the minor league kind of lifestyle, which is very interesting. Now there's this giant story about minor leaguers and whether or not they're getting paid enough and how teams should really take care of them. And then you have, it seems like the, the ownerships are like, ah, do we really need all of these minor league players? <laughs> so do you have a, do you have a, a side to that? Like you have a perspective that I feel like not a lot of people have when it comes to, you know, how, how difficult it is to, to really be a minor leaguer.
3: Totally. Yeah. I do have, I'd say a unique perspective into that. Like I, so I graduated from college and I took that job and it was high A and most of the players, <clears throat> it was their first full season, maybe second full season. So we're all kind of the same age. Uh, we're all trying to figure it out. We're at the bottom of the rung. And um, I was lucky enough to be employed by the Diamondbacks as opposed to the minor league team. So I actually got paid pretty decently, especially for an intern. Um, the player, I was definitely getting paid more than the players, you know, with the exception of signing bonuses. And those guys were, you Know lots of fast food, the spread in the clubhouse was this is 2010, so it's not that long ago, and things have improved. But, um, the clubhouse spread is nothing impressive, it's definitely not high performance nutrition. Um, the you know, they a lot of them are staying in host families, which is nice. Uh, but if you're not in a host family, then you're trying to figure out something at least by celia is affordable. But even then, guys are sharing rooms, um, especially the Latin guys, they're like. They're packing as many as they can into a small apartment because they got to send some of their small paycheck back home, and you know these paychecks are are tiny, like two thousand dollars a month. You know, and, and they're not getting paid during spring training. Um, one of the like more eye opening experiences, like quickly, I went from like fanboy to like being inside and and kind of seeing the reality of things pretty quickly in, in that job, and. Um, it was some newspaper, like maybe USA Today. They printed uh, as part of like a season preview the salaries of every player <laughs> in baseball, and um, someone on the team put that up on the wall. As soon as you see it, as soon as you walk in, and um, this is major league players, so it's you know the big numbers. And um, I don't remember exactly what they're highlighting, but they they like highlighted certain guys, and uh, they're looking at the average and stuff. And they were going for that, you know. That's they were getting paid so little in, in in their first or second year. like it. I'm sure the, the love of the game hadn't worn off for most of them, but it quickly became about money for them because you just can't help but not be concerned about money when you're making so little of it. And what you're trying to get to is one of the best-paying jobs in the world.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, that's the other thing too. <clears throat> when we talk about the steroids and the hall of fame and everything else, a lot of people forget that was the drive for a lot of the uh, minor league players. And we're going back a little bit, f- you know, some, some more years before 2010, but you know, guys see, see those salaries and they see the home run hitters and they see how much they're making. And especially guys who are coming from different countries They're like you said, too, this is money that could go back to their families uh, and, and, put those families at ease for the rest of their lives and then their grandchildren and so on and so forth. So a lot of people forget that. I mean, when you see those high dollar amounts, it wasn't just, I'm going to do something, you know, that's not necessarily looked as, uh, you know, something we should be doing in the game of baseball, but I'm going to do it because I know it's going to get me the paycheck. Everybody else is doing it. I've got to keep up with them. I want to get that paycheck as well. A lot of people kind of forget that as time has gone on.
1: Totally. it is uh, especially because I don't know what the percentage is, but I mean, the amount of players who either come out of high school or college or internationally and who make it to a minor league system, one of the clubs, like it's a very small amount that actually makes it to that, you know, that 25-man roster or 26-man roster, or whatever it is. So, I mean, it is an absolute shot in the dark unless like, you know, Shane was talking about, you know, these these bonus guys who get drafted, you know, very highly. Um so y- you said you read the book Moneyball. Now I wonder how many people who are of your age who are in baseball today were like I was influenced by Moneyball. Like there that that book is like the most influential thing in the last 20 years I feel like when it comes to baseball because it gave you a much different viewpoint, one that if you were following on the back of baseball cards like me and Brad, we're like, who cares about that stuff? But at, at some point, I remember, you know, we we were t- we were talking to uh, Jarrett, uh, who was talking about Bill James, right? He's, we were all kind of reading early Bill James stuff, but still, it was like uh, I remember uh, Wade Boggs, and he's hitting leadoff for the Red Sox, and and the conventional wisdom was, why would you why would you hit the slowest guy leadoff? And then I remember my dad saying. You know, my dad coached me pretty much my whole life, and he's like, you know, for somebody who doesn't swing, you know, he doesn't swing the bat enough. Like he takes too many walks, and so there was this wisdom that it was so different from from what happens when when this book comes out. Now I know big league teams had sort of caught up by then, but the the net the general fan base, like for us, you know, the the A's of, of that time frame picking up players solely because of their on-base average. like it was, it was just amazing. So talk a little bit about that book. Talk about what <clears throat> it was in that book that inspired you so much. And then uh, also want to get your thoughts on that movie.
3: <laughs> yeah. So to, the first part, a lot of people in my generation, I definitely am not the only person with with that story of they read the book. And then they tried to work in baseball. In fact, it's actually gone way too far, in my opinion, in that direction. And actually, Sandy Alderson, uh, who I was fortunate enough to interview in my my current job, he mentioned that. And he was the one... I mean, he hired Billy Bean. He created Billy Bean. I actually think he doesn't get quite enough credit or blame um, for for creating the monster that he did with analytics. He was the first general manager that didn't have a baseball background, which... To, to answer the question about how that book really inspired me, that's what it was. It was that baseball had always been an insiders club. It was always former players. Um, and now all of a sudden it wasn't. And um, that start obviously Billy Bean played, but he was hiring guys uh, below him and his boss, Sandy Alderson, like weren't baseball guys. And so I consider myself a baseball fan, a baseball lifer, a baseball purist, but I didn't have any proof of my credentials of why I belonged in the game other than just, loving it with every ounce of who I am, you know, but the, the, then, and I tell this to job applicants nowadays, that doesn't get you a job. It doesn't matter how much you love the game, right? Like you have to be able to add something to the organization because you can just buy a ticket. You know, there's 50,000 people at every game who love the game. So um it was just about like, how can I use my education? How can I find a way in? And then that combined with the baseball climate was more open to people who weren't from inside the club. So, um, you know, that was a huge influence. And then actually I had a, an interview with the A's, which was super exciting right out of college uh, from that letter writing campaign. I told you about the Sandy helped with. And um, the question that I was asked was uh, explain the philosophy of money ball. Cause obviously I told him my origin story and um, I was kind of ready for it. Uh, I, I think maybe I, I heard someone mention this actually Billy Bean mentioned this uh, because Sandy brought him to our class and he revealed the secret to money but He said, it's not about on-base percentage. It's just about finding whatever is currently undervalued. And uh, the A's actually have moved away from on-base percentage because everyone knows that's super valuable now. And they started putting together like a defensive speedy team over the last, you know, in more recent history, just because the pendulum swung the other way. So and that and that's what every team is trying to do now. So it's you know, it's not so many secrets, but it's just about finding like what there's so many ways to win a ball game. What is being what costs the most right now and uh what is undervalued. And um and so so anyway, that that's like the philosophy and like I said, I think it's gone a little bit too far. <laughs> um and uh it's the game is losing a little bit because of that. Um So I think it's actually now what some teams are doing, I believe, is they're realizing that that undervalued thing is now the old school scouting, right? Teams are cutting scouting departments um, massively over the last 10 years. Like so many scouts are without jobs. And now all of a sudden, if you're like, I'm going to invest in scouting and not just look at the numbers you can get all the best scouts who are looking for work and have a really robust scouting department and really be able to analyze the human element, which teams are undervaluing now. And, um, like Theo Epstein has said, like, if we could quantify clubhouse chemistry and makeup, then, uh, that's like the golden ticket. And I, I know for a fact, teams are working on it and they probably won't tell anyone how they're quantifying <laughs> that. But, um, you know, that's scouts, scouts do that. And, um, then you can run all the numbers you want on their scouting reports in in your internal database you know but to, um so anyway yeah i think uh it's it's kind of nice to see that some teams are realizing that it went too far and and there is a value to the other side
1: so let's talk about this movie now because yeah. th- this book comes out and if you think about books that get turned into movies i moneyball had to be very low on the list <laughs> You know this ver- this book about analytics and a team that uses you know, like you said, you know what is not being utilized currently, what is undervalued. I, I would have never imagined this movie gets made, let alone get made with Brad Pitt <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as the lead actor. Uh, and and so it's a- it's a fascinating watch because again, this this book you know in-, in baseball years this book is like so old now, but in like real life years the book is not that old. But still, uh, all of the concepts, all of the ideals uh, have changed. But still, when, when you go, when we go back, and I don't know, I, I'm, ass- I'm assuming you both have watched the movie, but I watched it because uh, Bill Simmons, the, the Ringer, they were doing a rewatchables podcast. And so kind of movies that come on a lot. and Why are they rewatchable? Why can you rewatch them? And Moneyball was there. And I was like, wow, I've never seen Moneyball. And so I I rented it or whatever and watched it. And I was like, wow, this movie is way better than I actually expected. And in fact, I like the book, but the book can get a a, a little, I don't don't know what the right word is, but you know, the, the 20 hour version of reading the book versus two hour movie I actually thought the movie was right there with the book. Did you, did you have a, have a thought on that since I know, you know, the book very well.
3: Yeah, I, th- I mean, I thought the movie was great, and I, especially the fact that it appeals to a wide audience beyond baseball. I mean, putting Brad Pitt on the screen doesn't help with that category, but um, I mean, you put in Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill is an awesome combo. Yeah, um, I mean, the book, definitely, as with any, or sorry, the movie, as with any movie made from a book, obviously grabs you know, condenses it and makes it like the more Hollywood version. Like I didn't appreciate how they vilified art house so much, um, you know, but you have to have a a villain, you know, and, and, um, and, uh, you know, I thought they did a a really good job with it. I, I think that the book, um, from a, for a baseball fan does a better job because you're really like learning the stories of these players and kind of learning what's going on in the front office a little bit more, um, but I thought, as far as like, I agree. When they said they're going to make it into a movie, I was kind of shocked, you know, because I thought it was kind of like, I mean, Michael Lewis is a best-selling author; the book did really well. But I thought it was more of just kind of a, a baseball, uh, dork book or something, you know. I just like <laughs> took it so seriously, and and I kind of uh, that's how I viewed it. Um, but I thought it was cool to bring that idea into the mainstream, and and um, you know, I. I Baseball movies are, I don't know, I guess I shouldn't be so surprised. There's so many baseball movies and it's just a sport that lends itself to to great films.
2: Brad, what did you think about that movie? You know, I saw the movie many years ago when it came out. I I actually have never read the book. Um, I wasn't much of a reader until about... Two years ago, <laughs> the <laughs> pandemic got me back into reading. I used to read one book every couple of years. Uh-huh. Now I'm reading like four or five books a year, uh, and so that is on my list, uh, as well as many Star Wars books and there you uh, go. many other books. But the movie, uh, from what I remember, I, you know, I enjoyed it. I tried to uh, pitch my wife on it because <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, Brad Pitt's in it, and she likes Jonah Hill too. And I thought this this is great. And she's uh but but yeah yeah i mean i really enjoyed it i i had a hard time when the whole moneyball era started you know as a i used to call myself a purist i don't like that word anymore i don't really use that anymore because i i kind of go with the flow i i'm good with whatever is good for the game brings in fans uh doesn't doesn't hurt necessarily the history of the game um So for me at the time, Moneyball was tough for me to take. It was tough for me to handle the whole way that the A's were doing things. It was frustrating. Uh, But now I look at it and I kind of think... I kind of want that back a little bit. I want more runners on base. I want less, uh, you know, trajectory on home run balls, um, uh, less high fastballs, um, uh, you know, so, so now I think I embrace it more than I did uh, back then. But yeah, like you said, too, throw Brad Pitt in a movie and it's going to sell, right? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Okay. So let's talk
1: about uh, what you do in your, your current baseball job. So explain Japan Ball, explain the tours and uh and and how all that works and you know how how Brad and I can get out there and, yeah. and, and check out you know check out the scene.
3: Yeah, well Japan Ball uh it started in nineteen ninety nine. Um Bob Bavese is the the founder of Japan Ball. You may recognize the last name Bavese. Uh his dad was Buzzy Bavese is Dodgers GM for a long time. She, I think should be in the hall of fame in my opinion. Um, and his two brothers are GMs of teams. He just comes from a baseball family and and he, he took the minor league route. Um, he said he hated how his dad and his brothers kept getting fired for, uh, for no reason other than like a new person came in and he's like, I want to be my own boss. So he, he started some minor league teams. And then, um, he had this idea where he wanted to go to Japan, uh, to watch baseball because he heard it was super fun. So he, uh, he's been saying this for like 20 years when he first started and he's, he's no longer uh, officially with the business I took over a couple of years ago, but he says, um, I just wanted a way to go to Japan for free every year. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's what, and that's how it started, right? He wanted to go on these baseball tours to Japan. It's such a fascinating experience seeing baseball over there and he wanted to share it with people and then just make it make just a little bit of money so that he didn't have to pay for himself to go every year um and then in order to spread the word about this because this was i guess it was over 20 years ago now so this was after nomo came over before Ichiro came over so people were just starting to get you know get familiarized japanese baseball so bob started a website and um wanted to spread the word about Japanese baseball. Cause some people, he's like, how would people know that they want to come to Japan to watch baseball when they don't even really know what Japanese baseball is. So, um, that was the roots of it. And it's really just grown since then. And, um, over the last couple of years being grounded with our travel, I've taken the, the website informational content stuff to the next level because I've had a lot of time to, uh, <laughs> to do so. Um, and, uh, so, so our, you know, we want to, create and disseminate content and information about Japanese baseball in the English language, which there's not that much of, and especially geared towards people like you who you love baseball, you're intrigued by it. You probably don't know too much about it. You know a Seiya Suzuki's coming over, you know about you know the, the big stars that have come over in the past. Um, you know, maybe WBC, things like that. But like we want to take you to that next level of like, okay, what's the league look like? What's unique about it? What's the experience like going to a game there? And then once you learn about that, you can't help but want to come over and watch it because it's it's just so cool. Um, so that's that's kind of the concept. Like we're a baseball tourism company as far as like our product. You know that's what we do. That's how we sustain as a business. Um, but we're also somewhat of a media entity in a sense of just trying to spread the word about Japanese baseball. Um, and, and recently, in the last couple of years due in part to my former job working in international baseball, uh, the commissioner's office, like I really wanted to expand to other countries as well. I mean, Japan is our focal point. Japan is the number two uh, baseball country in the world um, as, as far as like the quality of the league. Uh, and it's just like a great infrastructure over there. So I still love Japan and that's our main thing, but um, also trying to expand uh, we we did a Dominican Republic tour this past year. I'm working on going to the Netherlands later this year, uh, South Korea, even the Bahamas, like basically just anywhere around the world where they're doing baseball. Um, we want to go there and we want to bring like-minded, just super enthusiastic, adventurous, curious baseball fans and, um, and go watch games together, experience new culture through baseball.
1: So there's a player, who is very highly sought after, uh, including by the Giants. And if this stinking lockout ever ends, we will get to see, hopefully, him come to the majors this year. Now, Be- Otani has become one of the biggest stars in baseball, so I imagine it has created a lot more interest for some of these players uh, to possibly go over there because they see the success. They see probably how... uh you know, m- maybe when Nomo and Ichiro came over, uh, you know the the culture was probably not not as. Uh, I, I don't want to say it's it's easier now. I don't know Otani. I don't I don't know exactly the things that he said, but just his success probably makes it a little bit more digestible for people to go. Oh, maybe we can maybe we can go over there too. Say Suzuki, who is the guy? Uh, I think. A lot of Giants fans thinks he's he's like the perfect Giants player, and he would fill a hole. Uh, he he would he wouldn't fill it completely, but you know we did lose Buster Posey, right handed bat, uh, and, and so there's some hope that he would be able to to come here and the Giants would be able to sign him. What are your thoughts on Suzuki?
3: Well, first of all, he would be a perfect fit for the Giants. Like being a Giants fan, being a Japanese baseball fan, like I've been watching this carefully and like everyone, everyone wants the next big thing out of Japan, but like for the giants, it actually does make a lot of sense. Um, Largely, I think the thing that makes him unique and the thing, and the reason why I think his skills are going to transfer well is that he's the type of hitter that, has really quality at bats. He has more walks than than um strikeouts over the last few years, which is a very rare skill. Like only a handful of guys in baseball have that. And and I, I mean off the top of my head, um like Vladdy Jr. right is someone that combines that skill with power. And Suzuki doesn't have the power of, of Vladdy Jr. But like not many guys can do that. Um that's super elite uh to be able to put up power numbers. And um, and have really quality at bats where you have more walks than checkouts. So you know that any team will like that. Um, if his numbers and and the way he plays defense and his arm, like I'm sure every major league team wants him. I think the only thing is like you never positive how it's going to translate because there's so many intangibles that are factored into how someone does when they come over from japan or or go from the u.s to japan for that matter um so it's something that there's always a little bit of risk which is why i think that he's going to be more affordable than someone with his talent maybe would would fetch if they've proven themselves on this side of the pacific um which plays nice for the giants too because they've shown that they don't really like to shell out the big big contracts over the last few years um although i do think they have that money and and they will eventually but um so i mean he's an awesome player like he is a an excellent arm like a true right fielder's arm um he's the type of guy where like with this whole positionless baseball and moving guys around could definitely fill in at the other outfield spots even center field even though i don't think he's necessarily like a true center fielder um but he would you know, I mean, some of the guys the Giants have rolled out and now like they don't seem to care sometimes. You know, so um, so
2: are, are you uh, talking about uh, one Mauricio Dubon in center field? <laughs> <laughs> that
3: would be one. I mean, exactly. And uh, yeah, I mean, in his bat and he he can run. Like he's a true five five tool player. So um, any team that gets him will be lucky to have him. And I'm sure there's going to end up being a bidding war at least between a few teams, um, but. I don't know. People keep saying like 55, 65 million. Like I just feel like he's talented enough where it's going to get higher than that. And certain teams are going to be willing to bet on him. Um, and, and those teams are likely to be teams that have money. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out.
2: Yeah, we keep hearing the Rangers sneaking in there, the Mariners. And the Mariners, anytime you talk about a Japanese player coming over, the Mariners are always going to be near the top of the list. Um, And then you're also hearing the Rangers, the Red Sox, the Giants are thrown in there as well. So there's going to be a lot of competition. It's going to be a bit crazy. Do you think over time that scouting has gotten better to the point where you can take a player like that and say, he he has a better chance of translating to the United States um, brand of baseball than say the Shiyoshi Shinjos from back in the day where it was kind of a crapshoot. It was kind of like, Hey, we're going to grab and bring him over and see what happens.
1: You know, before you answer that, it's so mm-hmm. funny. Brad said that because we just had this conversation with my dad and my kids yesterday. So my dad asks and says, what do you think about Suzuki and my son, my oldest son, who's been on this show, uh, AKA hot take Bry? He's like, you <laughs> oh, he have another hot take. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, Suzuki's perfect. Or it may have been my, uh, my youngest son may have asked about Suzuki. <clears throat> and I said, well, we're bringing Shane on this show. We're going to talk about <laughs> Suzuki the whole time. But my dad goes, more Ichiro, less Shinjo. That was his <laughs> analysis on the whole thing.
3: Poor yeah. Shinjo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, first of all, you guys got to look up Shinjo. He was just hired as a manager of of the um, the fighters. I saw Japan that pop Man up. Yeah. yeah, and uh, he's making it. He's literally making everyone call him Big Boss. Oh, I like he that. Every press conference as a fashion show, <laughs> nice. and it's like. I mean you're hiring a celebrity yeah. like caricature to run your team, so it's like a little bit controversial, but he was a freaking legend over there a great player. And in Japan they tend to hire like in, in the US, it's like a bunch of backup catchers and career minor leaguers managing teams. In Japan, there's a lot of stars. So it's like it's not that out of the norm to hire the great players. Um but it's it's an interesting hire, so that, that'll be fun to, to see. I recommend you guys check out like what he's been wearing. Oh, um, we gotta we gotta figure out yeah. a way
1: to follow, like on Twitter. Yeah. Like we gotta find a way. Well, <laughs> he's he's he's, so, he's one of those guys where I was just like, please, please, like be good on this team because yeah, I want to root yeah. for you so badly.
3: <laughs> First Japanese player to play in the World Series. Wow. With yeah. With the Giants, nice. I believe. Right. Yeah. Um, which also the giants had the first japanese big leaguer Masanori mm-hmm. murakami mm-hmm. which uh Brad if you read 4 to 5 books a year i recommend going <laughs> in there mashi m a s h i that's right. murakami's um nickname and uh, it's a biography of him it's a fantastic book his story is awesome and it's just kind of not really mentioned when it comes to uh kind of trailblazers you know nomo gets all the credit but uh, mashi did it you know 40 years uh, or 30 years before that um and and he was loved in San Francisco and he played in Fresno before that. And they have a big Japanese population and he was like a sensation. And uh was basically forcibly um, sent back to Japan by his, his original team. But I digress. Um,
2: I, I just put that on my list, by the way.
3: Nice. nice. <laughs> um. So Suzuki, I don't even remember what we were saying. You asked an actual question <laughs> about Suzuki, but I, 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 I lost track.
1: I, you know, I, I think the whole the whole thing about Suzuki. Oh, no, go ahead. If, if I you remember you're then.
3: asking if we have if we're better equipped to make these decisions. Right. And I yes and no. So yes and that there's there's more info there uh available. Um like there's more film on these guys than in the past. Uh there's more international international tournaments. Like the WBC is a great scouting opportunity because you're literally getting all the best players in the world um against each other with the exception of Team USA, who like, gets most of the best American players. Um, well, the but, last
2: time around, they they stepped it up a little bit, I think.
3: They did. I mean, they, yeah. they're great. And Buster Posey played, and a lot of great players. But, you know, still no Trout, no Harper, whatever. We, right. we yeah. could talk about that. But it's a great tournament. <laughs> I mean, a, a great tournament. And for scouting, it's a great tournament because you can see these guys like Suzuki, um, play against major league pitchers so you don't have to use your imagination as much you know you're, you're seeing it right there and you can do um it's not so much a projection as as it is um an evaluation of what you're seeing in front of your eyes um but the other way it hasn't changed is just what i was alluding to before is you just don't really know how these guys are going to react and uh the japanese uh league nippon professional baseball is is very protective of their players like you can't just talk to their players you can't have meetings with them you can't discuss you know get to know them uh, and and uh you definitely aren't going to get any help if you're trying to talk to their teams or their coaches and, and you really get a feel for what this guy's like um you just have to have really good scouts on the ground in japan who have connections but you know the japanese teams are notoriously um protective of their players and and there's very formal protocols and how to communicate with them so um that's the big wild card. And, and it's, it's just really hard to know. Um, You know, so many things can, can happen that can throw you off when you're trying to perform at an elite level in a completely different atmosphere.
1: All right. So let's talk a little bit about your giants fandom here. So, uh, if you're talking about uh, out of college in the 2010 range, mm-hmm. that means you're quite a bit younger than Brad and myself, <laughs> which actually puts you in a perfect time frame when it when it comes to the Giants, because your post college years is their six year World Series run, and how is like Brad and I. Uh, w- when we were growing up, we, there was a couple uh, of of pretty good teams. 87, we've talked about 87 a lot. I was only like, uh, I was like 11. Brad's a few years older than me. And then we had... Just 90- a, few. Just,
2: just just a, a few. few. just a few. Just a few.
1: Just a couple. <laughs> we had 93. You know, we're both sort of in our teenage years, uh, become, you know, getting a little bit older. And then the Bond stuff, the Bonds years, you know, the the Giants were generally in <laughs> contention every year that 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 bonds was there um when he was not hurt. There were some years where he was hurt and they they weren't competing. But we always felt like this is never gonna happen. Like it, it just it just doesn't because it's not meant to happen. And you you're in college and then boom 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 three World Series th- <laughs> like you're like the luckiest guy ever, like to to go through <laughs> that, you know, to have the team be good when you're you know when you're able to to still be a, a semi youngish fan.
3: Yeah. Well, it's I, all right. Well, where do I start? So, for my giant, the first giant season that I really remember being super invested in, like I was always a Giants fan, but the 97 NL West champs, like I, I remember, um, you know, rushing home from school with my buddies to watch the clincher. Uh, if I remember correct, it was like Rod Beck. He, he had the bases loaded with, with, uh, against the Dodgers and he had to, um, get Eddie Murray out and sent and shuck, I think I a double play in a strikeout. And of course, Brian Johnson, um, with the walk-off homer, like those were like my two, like that really like got me in deep, um, uh, with the giants. And then, um, and bonds is like my guy, of course, anyone who is giants fan. I love JT snow, Bill Miller as a third baseman. So I loved, I loved him. Um, and then. Oh, two, I was in high school. Um, I had, a, I have a story that I don't know. I guess I'll share it. But <laughs> I think, I think I, I, so I was at a high school. I'm just going to say this because you guys, I like you guys. But I, I was at a high school. Uh, we had a high school dance night of game six, of the World world series. And um, I was watching the game with some buddies and we were drinking and <laughs> the giants lost. I was bummed. I get to the dance and um, I'm drunk in his high school, and one of the chaperone guys like sees it, and he knows, and I'm, oh, no. and he's like, "You come with me, Barkley. Come on, like you know." He's, he's just, he's like, "I can." It's obvious, like, and I'm trying to ignore him, trying to walk away, and I was like, "Look, the Giants just lost the World Series. It's been an awful night. Just please, please, just." I don't want, I don't want to get kicked off sports teams for this. Just let me, just give me this one. And as soon as I said the giants thing, he let me go and he's like, all right, oh, just nice. don't fall over. Your straight <laughs> and you're good. So um, that was like, that was my first giants world series moment. Um, and I have like, it's like a, uh, the loss was um, not so bad because, you know, I, I avoided getting kicked off all my sports teams. In my yeah, sport. there you go. <laughs> um, but then another weird thing happened in 2010. So I worked with Diamondbacks in um, out of Visalia for the 2010 season. The minor league season ends a month before the major league season. So I'm like fully invested back home in Cupertino, uh, watching all the games with my buddies. We're like sinking KNBR to the TV. So we don't have to hear the national broadcasters, all that stuff. And like, you know, Cody Ross and like just loving it. Um, but I started in uh, – my next job, my first full-time job, which was um, out of the Major League Baseball's Dominican Republic office that October. And so wow. I moved to the DR and I was staying in a hotel for the first week or so um, until I figured out a housing situation. And that week was the World Series. And so I have just had gone through like watching the whole playoff run with my buddies and i um, just like having so much fun. Everyone was getting caught up in it. And then I'm sitting in a hotel room in my, by myself in the Dominican Republic when they clinch. And I was just like, it was exciting, but it was just bizarre. And I had no one to celebrate with. And uh, one of my coworkers is at the hotel, but he didn't care about the giants. And he, he actually wasn't <laughs> even that big of a fan. And so like, I ran to his room and I'm like, Giants won. He's like, congratulations. And like, that was it. And,
2: um, so
3: it was kind of bizarre. And then, um, I worked for the commissioner's office for the next like eight years and at MLB, they really, um, and great for part of it just happens naturally. And part of it is cause like, it's, uh, strong, it's required that you're biased or sorry, unbiased. And, um, you know, especially I worked in baseball operations. It wasn't just like, you know, accounting or whatever for MLB. So like I had, like, it actually mattered that I was, Unbiased and neutral. And uh, so that combination of kind of seeing the teams in a different way and like learning to judge teams based on like, do I like the people who work with you or who work for you? And um, do you answer emails? Like, <laughs> I like, started judging teams based on that. Do you follow the rules? Do you meet deadlines? Like, okay, I'm a fan of your team. Do you not do that? I to get special favors. I don't like you, you know? Yeah. So that kind of changed things. And then I also was just very conscious of being unbiased like i'd go to games and i you know i wouldn't be wearing jerseys and stuff like and i eventually moved to the new york office and um so i'd go to you know I'd, I'd go to giants games against the mets and um but you know i'm not sitting there like drinking and rooting for the giants really obnoxiously yeah. because i might see someone that i that i work with and You're not um, in that huge giant section out in no uh, yeah the, the thinner the thinner the games, base like um finnerty's bar which is yeah uh, rest in peace they're covid casualty but yeah they would have a great crew um so anyway like that whole run i was definitely rooting for them but i never got to go to any of the games i would have world series ticket hookups and i would help out as many as my friends and family as possible and kind of live vicariously through them um but i was kind of removed from it and uh in leaving that full-time job at NLB in 2018, that was the thing that was at first a little bit strange, but then quickly like came full on back. It was like, I'm a baseball fan now. Like I get, I still work in baseball and I go to the park to work, but like I can have a beer and I can root for the team and I can, you know, have hot takes or whatever. And, and it doesn't <laughs> matter. So um, and I, I, that's why this past year was really fun for me just being a full-on um, you know, re re tapping into my, my fandom and the giants were super fun again. So, uh, so yeah, anyway, it was, it was kind of a strange experience um, living in New York and, and being distanced from the, those great teams. All
1: right. So I had uh, reached out to you earlier today and I was like, you know, you know, the gimmick Brad and I like to have a drink and you agree? Speaking to, of <laughs> to, uh, to partake with us, so why don't we all just uh, quickly before it? Because I have I do have one last question for Shane as it relates to uh, baseball. But let, let's just uh, follow with what we're drinking. Brad, I saw that you had a you had a nice glass
2: there. Yeah, I've got a <clears throat> my little my little snifter. I pulled this out of the fridge. I've had it for a while. I kind of cut back on beer, I was telling you. But since we were going to import, you know, we're talking import baseball here, I, I went with an import. I don't have any Japanese beers. I don't have any Korean beers. I don't have any Dominican Republican beers. Mm-hmm. But I do have an English beer. It's a Samuel Smith Imperial Stout. Mm-hmm. Nice seven percenter. I wasn't sure if it held, but usually the darker ones hold a little bit longer. It's been in the fridge the whole time. And it is.
1: So I went to uh, the grocery store. And I I was just perusing. I didn't have a plan on buying anything. You know, just kind of check just in case. And one of my favorite, I guess you could call it, bargain bourbons, like bourbon that I could drink and and it's not going to set me back, you know, a lot of money, is called Redemption. And for some reason, and I'm still not sure exactly why, it was on Clearance. So it's generally like a $34, $35 a bottle, and it was like $22. And so I was like, I'm getting two. I don't need it, but I'm getting (laughs) it. Now, my only issue with this bourbon is that for my taste buds, for whatever reason, like it's so smooth that... I'm not, if I'm not paying attention, like it's gone. Like I, I you know, I'm, I'm just sipping, sipping, sip And then it's, it's absolutely gone. So that is my one problem with redemption is I just drink it way too fast.
2: Well, which one did you get? Did you get, they, they've got like a high rye. They've got a... <laughs> Regular old redemption, which was... Yeah,
1: yeah, it's just the regular, the regular okay. one, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's yeah, crazy. but right. it's so you know got a couple, and of course first bottle's already gone because I was drinking a little too <laughs> oh, fast, but gee, yeah, we're, we're good. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All
1: right, Shane, what about you?
3: I made myself a little cocktail because I, I noticed you guys tend to drink cocktails. This I've been really into rum recently so, since our most oh, wow. recent Dominican Republic nice. tour. We did a rum tour at. um a Barcelo rum factory. And, uh, I feel like rum is very misunderstood and underappreciated. And especially after doing this tour, right? Like really initiate, like, I don't know, it instigated like a, a new love of, ro- of rum from me. Um, so this is, so the way they do it, they do this tour and, and they give you like, at first they said, they're going to charge us for tastings. And I was like, I don't really want to, you know, pay all this money for tastings. And then they said, no, we'll just throw it in. And, um, we realized they're brilliant because they give us just an excessive amount of tastings throughout the tour and the tour guides um, just get a commission of whatever you buy at the end. Mm. Like they don't accept tips. They only get payment in form of commissions. They got our whole group drunk and then I bought like an excessive (laughs) amount of rum Um, and to have like crazy factory prices, which are just ridiculous like bottles that sell for, you know, two or three times the amount in the U S so this is one like, being a Bay Area guy, living in Santa Cruz, I got the or- organic rum, which most of the people on our tour didn't really like, um, because it's just super earthy. But I'm, i I like I like that. I'm into that. Yeah. You know whether it's beer or coffee or or liquor, like I like the earthy flavors. So I, I mixed it with some uh, like a uh, ginger elixir type. thing. Nice. Oh, nice. Um, Excellent. Yeah.
1: Excellent. Okay. So. Um... My last question for you now. I don't Brad Brad may have another question. Yeah. But the last one from me. So we'll, we'll sort of swing it all the way back to current day baseball. Now you've worked for the league on the other side as a fan I'm sure you are very uh, sympathetic t- towards the players but you have this perspective of like you kind of understand where both sides are coming from. So give us the lay of the land when it comes to your opinion on how things are going right now and if you think that uh, we're anywhere close to having a season.
3: I wish that I could actually have a, a good prognostication of what's going to happen. But my take on things is that the last CBA, uh, the players got got their butts kicked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I I don't know, from my perspective being in in the league office, that's just the perception we had. You know, I'm not part of those negotiations. I don't actually know everything that that went on, but it seemed like once things played out, you know, the players were fighting for quality of life type things and the the owners were fighting for money, and it was pretty, like, complex how they managed to pull it off with these taxes and whatnot. But the way it's played out has just been that, you know the, the the owners really gained ground over the last five years, and the players didn't. And the players want to make up for what they lost over the last five years, and they're trying to kind of re like equalize things. But from what I know about labor negotiations, it's not really how it works. You have to go based on what the current situation is and you make incremental gains every time. And if someone last time made big gains, you don't get to make big gains to make it even, but that's what the players want. So that's why it just seems kind of ugly to me. And I can, it's, I don't know when, when uh, uh, the former regime was at the MLBPA, it seemed like there was like true negotiations going on and there was a little bit less bad blood. And it just seems like, publicly what they're saying it just doesn't seem like there's any desire to really work together and and therefore it just has me worried to be honest um you know I, I think that the owners are saying like look we'll give you stuff like we're gonna you know make these certain concessions but we're not gonna like try to let you catch up from where we were last time and and that's so that's my take on things and that's why i just feel like it hasn't gone too well so far it looks like from just reading in the press. And, um, and it's also why I'm just a little bit nervous about how, how it's going to play out.
2: I had a, a short back and forth conversation with Russ Ortiz on Twitter a couple of days ago. Wow, you and, didn't tell me about this. Yeah, <laughs> I, I figured you would have seen it. Um, but but he was, you know, he was basically lamenting that he wishes the players' association would get out there more, would would basically PR more, and say this is what we're asking for, this is why we're asking for it, so that the fans have a better idea. He said that was a problem back when he was playing too. It, there just wasn't enough PR from the players' association uh, and and MLB has an entire PR department and they have a commissioner and, and you know, so they, they can get the word out there pretty easily. You see the press conferences and everything else going on from the MLB side, but not from the players association side. So um, yeah, that's a little bit of it too. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to the fans. Um, a lot of us side with the players. We, we do. Cause you know, we're here to watch the players. Yeah. I mean, that's the bottom line. We'd love to see ticket prices. Stay low, come down, whatever it needs to. But we know it's inflation; that that's really not going to happen,
1: right? Absolutely, yeah. And you know, when when secondary markets can sell tickets for more than what you buy them for, there's room for them to even increase more. So that that's probably what we'll see. Yeah, but sure. um, so so Shane, uh, we're gonna let you before we let you go. Uh, just talk about you know. Promote anything you want to promote. Uh, we, we we mentioned your uh, your Twitter and Instagram handles for Japan Ball at Japan Ball. What else do you want to tell the people out there about uh, you or about uh, Japan Ball?
3: Well, yeah, the Twitter, Instagram, um, and Facebook. You know, we're on all those. Look up Japan Ball. Instagram is actually Japan Ball Travels the handle, but you know, you'll, you'll find us. Um, Japanball.com is our website. I recommend if anyone's interested in keeping up to date about Japanese baseball. We have a a newsletter that goes out that um, kind of gives people the, the once a week rundown of what's going on in the Japanese game. And then also all the info about our, our tours via that newsletter. So I recommend signing it up if you're serious about it. Um, And uh, I'd like to share like what our, potential tour itinerary is this year. Just so uh, if anyone out there, I'd I'd love to have anyone join us. Obviously there's um, some concerns of COVID and like we can't go to Asia yet um, as of now, but they're loosening it up. So if things go well, um, our first tour, actually for the first time, we're doing a USA baseball tour because of the uncertainty in Asia. It's a West coast baseball tour. We're going to 11 ballparks, Uh, six major league parks and five minor league parks uh, throughout Washington state and all of California. Um, We're going to go to all those games. We're going to meet with uh, baseball personalities. Uh, We're going to have some cool eating experiences, like really trying to add the kind of social and personal touch to it, because obviously it's anyone can go to a game in the U S. Um, if you're an American, it's like not that hard to figure out, but I'm, I'm just trying to make it special so people understand, like you're going to go with a bunch of like-minded people and like guaranteed to make some friends that you'll be friends forever. Cause that happens on every tour. Um, and also just get some unique experiences. So that's June, uh, July, uh, in just outside Amsterdam in Harlem is 20 minutes 20 minutes outside of Amsterdam is Harlem baseball week. It's actually hunkball week. Hunkball is how you say baseball in Dutch. Um, it's a tournament that features the USA college national team, the cube uh, national team from Cuba, uh national college team from Japan, Taiwan, uh Mike Piazza's team Italy. Um, I think I might might be in in netherlands of course uh they play in a tournament and it's like a big week-long celebration um in amsterdam and in and around amsterdam so we'll be doing that in july august fingers crossed is our annual japan tour um if you do the whole thing which a handful of people do every year you'll see all 12 npb ballparks in one trip uh one game at each park um you can also just do one segment of that. We have it broken down into different segments. Uh, and I'm really excited this year. We're doing the Koshien, uh National High School Baseball Tournament, which mm. is like, I'd say uh, March Madness and Super Bowl combined. That's like what it is. And, <laughs> and like, should be on every baseball fan's bucket list. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, we're going to, you can compare that with um, a little mini trip to South Korea where we'll see four or five games around the Seoul area. Cause there's a bunch of teams all within uh, in one um, train rides away in Seoul. And then in uh, late November or so uh, Dominican Republic, it'll be a Caribbean baseball adventure. I lived down there for two and a half years. Um, I know a lot of people down there that work in baseball. So it's like a really fun insider experience. You get the whole thing from like, the stereotypical sandlots that you hear about with these kids, you know, the poor kids playing baseball to like the shiny fields that the bonus babies are playing on. Um, Last year we got to meet Fernando Tatis and Juan Soto and a bunch of other uh, former players and stuff. It's it's an amazing uh, baseball country. And um, so I'm excited to do that again. And then um, the last one is the Bahamas. In December, the Bahamas has this cool baseball event every year. It's a it's an up-and-coming baseball country. They, they do a home run derby where they set up a basically a, like a home plate on the beach. And then they have <laughs> wow. a hitting competition where you're hitting the ball into the Caribbean waters, <laughs> like the beautiful, pristine, like screensaver water. <laughs> yeah. You have a little rope set up so like you get points for how far you hit it. And uh, they have a bunch of big cool. leaguers um, from the Bahamas, but also just like – the professional players in Bahamas bring all their friends over and it's like, Hey, it's December and we're going to go to the Caribbean and have a fun time. So those are all the trips I'm working on putting together this year. I'd love to have you guys along. I know you guys would be fit in really well with our crew. Um, And uh, you know, I understand that maybe it takes a few years if people uh, to actually make one of these trips happen. So just sign up for a newsletter at japanball.com if anyone's interested and uh, you'll be kept informed of what we're doing
1: yeah so That's awesome i i will say um going to japan to watch baseball is definitely one of the things that i want to do before it is all said and done so i'm very interested and uh i because i get people who want me to go to japan for like professional wrestling trips because in japan like professional wrestling is is, is a pretty big deal and i'm like I can't. I, I if I go, I'm going to go to do baseball. or I'm going to go hang out with my wife and sightsee. But I don't know if I can do the pro wrestling thing. But I definitely want to do the baseball thing. So this yeah, is on you, my bucket list.
3: You definitely got to come and and uh, you can get yourself a Tokyo Giants hat like yes, this. Right. And um, I can't promise the wrestling, but we do always <laughs> uh, incorporate a sumo tournament in our tours you um, whenever nice. possible. Um, yeah, out of all those tours, I say like. Japan's got to be on the bucket list. Like, oh, yeah. a Baseball fan, like, it's, it's just unlike anything else. And, and, uh, yeah, you guys would have, you guys would have a blast. Well,
2: the, the th- so I heard you mention food for the West Coast trip. I'm personally an adventurous eater. Uh, I, I'm fine trying anything. So, so give us a quick rundown of some menu items you see in the Japanese leagues, uh, South Korea, Dominican Republic.
3: Um, yeah, I mean, food's a big part of, of our tours are last in the DR, a couple, when we were there in November, one of the guests said to me, he's like, you should have just called this a food tour that we happen to go to baseball games. <laughs> and uh, you know, that's how I travel. So I like I just, that. <laughs> it's like, you know, you're coming with me. Um, so uh, that's what we're getting. But I mean, as far as ballpark food in Japan, um, their, like version of the hot dog is Takoyaki. It's octopus balls. Like they're little fried balls that um, have pieces of octopus in them. And you put like kind of like mayo and and like seaweed stuff and like just good flavor all over it. Uh, that's like a typical ballpark thing or bento boxes, uh, which is like a little bit of everything. Uh, probably the most unique food and beverage thing uh, in Japan is the beer situation, which they have these beer girls who have pony kegs on their back and they're, <laughs> hustling so hard and it's hot there and they're like every inning you'll probably have four or five beer girls go by and there's no like exclusive pouring rights, so it's every type of japanese beer is at every ballpark and like there you can sit in your seat and like get a you know the expensive ones are in tokyo it's like seven bucks for a beer or something but it's like on draft cold poured to you with a smile Uh, and like sitting in your seat and um you know people always get a kick out of that they also will serve you uh cocktails like um highballs they'll have those in pony kegs on their back um so that's that's like very distinct um thing about the japanese uh yeah. and sake uh, i would industry. imagine right you sake pretty much uh, yes, everywhere not so much yeah. at the ballpark but oh, okay. everywhere but, <laughs> but for sure lots of sake is uh like every restaurant and everything it, it's yeah it's more the beer and like the the high balls is like whiskey soda. Whiskey soda is is kind of the those are the two drinks that they have. The we're
1: talking bar. about. That's what I'm talking yeah, about right yeah. there.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, so Shane, thanks for jumping on here with us. It was so great. You know, we're doing this thing, and there's a lockout, and to actually be able to talk about something. That is slightly different from, you know, the day-to-day Major League Baseball. It was perfect. So I'm so happy that that you uh, reached out to us because this was the perfect opportunity to talk about something different, which is what we're trying to do. We're trying to figure out, you know, different ways to talk about different stuff because of this lockout, which the genesis of this podcast is created because of the pandemic. And we were just like, we want baseball. We need to do something. <laughs> yeah. So now we're stuck again. Yeah. And we're trying to find some yeah. stuff. But you you came in and you saved it for us. So really appreciate you coming in. Um, I'm going to sign up for the newsletter myself because I'm just so intrigued. You know, I had a Sadahara O poster on my wall when I was nice. like 12 years old. So um, I'm in. Uh, but uh, yeah, so if you want to mm-hmm. check out Shane's stuff, um, Japan Ball on Twitter. And again, on Instagram, you said Japan Ball Travel. Yep. Japan Ball Travel. So check it out. So thank you to Shane, obviously to Brad. I am double G. So we will see you when we see you. Peace out. Peace.